Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, before we begin, I'm going to need to have you do something for me. Uh, I need you to essentially do a verbal consent that you're able to do this podcast, because, you know, we tried to tape yesterday on Thursday, and I, <laughs> I was starting to feel really guilty, Andrew. I was feeling like Tom Thibodeau, and maybe you were Carl Anthony Towns or Andrew Wiggins, because you were dragging your poor sad sack body up and down that microphone and it really was not working at all you sounded terrible it was really really brutal <laughs> i really it took a lot of i mean i i know the playoffs are right around the corner and i wanted to fight through it for you and i'm really glad that about 15 minutes in i i got up the strength to, ch- to just call off the podcast and we pushed it back a day so we we apologize that this is running, I guess it'll run on Friday afternoon instead of Friday morning. But uh, yes, for the second time in six weeks, I have been hit with like a bad cold and I've been battling through that the last few days. It's somehow still winter in wow. Washington. I need to move to the West Coast. But thank you for being flexible here. I really appreciate it. Look, don't apologize for having the bird flu. I just need that verbal consent. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm in much better shape today. We're not going to have to call this off after the first 15 minutes. Okay, I'm not holding a gun to your head. You're doing this under your own free will. Uh, but look, Andrew, the nice thing about it is, I mean, honestly, this was a pretty good week for you to get sick because the emailers are carrying us right now. I mean, openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com has just been a treasure trove of hilarious stories. I know we've got a podium for the ages coming up here later at the episode, but I think right off the top, people are asking about your your favorite team, the Wizards, right? Because they had uh, (laughs) something of a memorable meltdown last night. Now, I don't know how deep you were into the NyQuil. I mean, did you see what happened in the fourth quarter against the Cavaliers? Well, yeah, you know, the the phrase insult to injury definitely applies to what the Wizards did to me last night. But you're right. We do have a a bunch of good questions. We'll start with the Wiz uh, and we'll just sort of bounce all over the league here as we wait for the playoffs. Um, But the first question is from Byron, who says, I don't have a Twitter account and I usually just read the tweets of my favorite NBA Twitter guys. Recently, this led me to Mike Prada of SPNation.com, who had some pretty harsh takes on the state of the Wizards. Sorry to disappoint Professor Golliver and KD, but I don't watch Wizards games because I live in Ghana, and I can't afford to waste internet access like that. I get my Wizards updates from Sharp, and he's been very bullish on them this season. So what's the story here, Andrew? Is Prada overreacting, or are you just all bluster? I genuinely want to know, as I need to decide how to allocate my broadband for the playoffs. Um, and first of all, great email, and I hope it's understood that all of my Wizards optimism, both on Twitter and on the podcast, is like 85% sarcastic. Uh, it's not 100% sarcastic, because... Deep down, I do believe that like by the law of averages, something has to go right at some point. But yeah, I, as far as the Wizards are concerned, I agree with every criticism that Prada makes. And Byron, I suggest you save your internet until at least the second round. Let's say, let's say that. Yeah, I was going to say, look, I usually am really against like fantasy basketball uh, players who are very cynical and how they watch the game in terms of like, does this guy get me points or rebounds? I don't care if he contributes <laughs> to wins. 
But there is nothing more cynical than asking, is a team worth my bandwidth? You know, and having that be like a, a legitimate question. And Byron, they're not. I'm sorry. They're just yeah, really that's not. The thing. They're really not. You know, if we're being honest here. Yeah. And so, but specifically with that game, I mean, late in the game, John Wall, uh, I mean, the beautiful feed to Seti Osmond. I mean, you have to love that on, <laughs> on a game deciding possession. And. You know, he he clanked a jumper too. I guess I'm just interested. You know, how do you feel about Wall's return in general? Because the door is wide open here, Andrew. I mean, we're starting with the Wizards, but I think you know, implicit in that conversation is like Kyrie Irving's out for the season, right? Like, the, yeah. Boston is a vulnerable target. Washington's doing a very good job of losing so that they don't have to face <laughs> you know Cleveland or Philly in the first round, and it sets up that possible two seven series. With Boston, John Wall is the X factor in that series. You know, his health, his ability to get, you know, 85% of what he was maybe in last year's postseason on a short timeline coming back from the knee. That's the deciding factor of that series, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the question with Wall, the, the relationship is in a delicate place right now. Like I, I've said all along this year, it's like a marriage where there's a genuine lifelong bond, but at the same time, there are some habits where after a number of years, you're just like, do you really have to do that? And that's kind of how I felt with Wall yesterday, where it's like, I woke up to news that he had declared the Cavs game a statement game for the Wizards as they head into the playoffs. And I was like, I, I thought we learned our lesson about statement games in November. And like when I think the Wizards declared like five different games to be statement games and, and lost all five games. And so we went through that again. But then like midway through the third quarter, Wall looked phenomenal. I mean, he finished with 28 and 14. The Wizards were putting it all over the Cavs. They were up. 10 or 15 points they and that's when I like he really pulled me back in and then the offense just broke down at the end I put I put more of it on Scott Brooks and honestly like I, I'm pretty confident about the Wizards talent winning out in some of these playoff matchups um, but I worry about Scott Brooks and I think like anytime a team is gonna blow a 15 or 20 point lead in the span of a quarter there are some questions you ask about the coaching because you should be able to just sort of like manage the game and uh, they couldn't do it. And then LeBron was getting wide open layups at the rim, which is also not ideal. Yeah, I mean, good point. We really got to hold Scott Brooks accountable for John Wall driving to nowhere, <laughs> leaving his feet, turning and throwing the ball directly to the opponent. I mean, that was just a bad play call by Scott Brooks. You, you got to well, do better. On that play, did you see did you see his explanation afterwards? Because he was also he had turned the corner on Jeff Green, and Jeff Green, not exactly the world's greatest like rim protector or defensive presence, and and he should have had a layup and sort of like turned inexplicably to kick it out. And then afterwards his explanation was that he, like he doesn't get the calls that LeBron gets. And so he assumed that he wasn't going to get the foul, so he wanted to kick it out to someone else, which is just, like, really shaky. Again, I'm trying. It's a 
while we're coming off a long separation and there have been a lot of reminders of why I always loved him so much, but man, that is like pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, you compared, you know, your relationship with John Wall to a marriage. I mean, I'm picturing that third quarter where things were going right. It was sort of like, you know, a great birthday where, you know, your wife takes you out (laughs) to sort of your favorite restaurant and you think it's going really well. And then the fourth quarter rolls around and, you know, she drops the bad news after dessert at the meal. It says, you know, I accidentally scratched your car and you're and you're thinking, oh, that's the pass to Osmond. Right. And then you're thinking, OK, well, I can, you know, kind of live with that. But then, you know, she tells you she scratched, uh, scratched your car on the way to Goodwill to drop off your entire collectible collection of all your basketball cards and your you know, posters <laughs> you've been saving for your entire life. And that was John Wall's postgame excuse making, uh, you know, going after the officials. Uh, in a situation where you know that it was just not necessary, he just needed well, to own. He needed to own that one. Exactly. The, all I ask from the Wizards, I don't care whether they're going to disappoint me or not, but please don't blame the refs. That's like the weakest move possible. So, whatever happens for the next month, I I can live with any result as long as we're not bitching about the refs on the way out of the playoffs. Okay, so. I, I, enough tab dancing from you, though. Look, if it's Boston versus Washington, John Wall's on the court. Kyrie's not you know gun to your head are you winning that series yes definitely I'm not worried about that series I I think like I first of all I didn't I never thought Kyrie was going to be back so I've I've been like quietly pining for this seventh seed for for weeks now and uh and I think they're in good shape in that matchup I mean I I think it would you'd have to like be a diehard son of Brad Stevens to to really give the Celtics a chance in that series and uh and even as I'm hearing myself say this I'm now getting more worried because god knows like the the most heartbreaking finish to this season would be losing to like the JV Celtics the Red Claws but uh but yeah I do like the Wizards chances I'm not going to make any guarantees well, look, I, you know, I, I got to say, Danny Age deserves full credit for the work he's been doing to try to keep the sons of Brad Stevens' spirits up. I don't know if you saw his quote, but he said, quote, I'm excited about the playoffs. I really am. Terry Rozier and Shane Larkin, this is their opportunity. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you want to get, you know, playoff t-shirts made up with those with those quotes or, uh, you know, how deep you have to be into the well, but... You know, we said this would happen. You know, Boston's going to try to play the underdog card. You know, they're going to have one of the best records in the Eastern Conference, but they're going to spin the whole thing around, as they should. Uh, You know, I I would say on the Kyrie Irving injury, though, for the NBA, this is a really tough look because you're you're losing Steph, one of your biggest stars. You're losing Embiid to start the playoffs, who's one of your most recognizable young stars. And then you're losing Kyrie, who I think is one of the most popular players for, you know, the under 21 set or just the most exciting players, you know, all of those three together, that's a huge hit to the excitement you would hope to generate by opening your playoffs. Right. So I kind of feel like these playoffs are going to open with a little bit of a, uh, you know, like a, a slow roll entry where it's going to be easy for people who haven't been tuning in a lot to just laps back into the oh it's inevitable LeBron's going to stroll through the Eastern Conference and the Warriors are going to take care of business and that's not the story that the NBA was hoping for for this year's postseason yeah I mean we we're going to get to the Cavs or to the Kyrie injury later but we might as well talk about it now I mean what do you think that means for the Celtics like Steph uh in the Philippines asked do you guys think that Cleveland knew about the severity of Kyrie's knee problems were, were they not willing to take the risk of losing Kyrie midseason and possibly leaving them to fend for themselves? 
I think the idea that the Cavs were playing chess this summer is giving <laughs> Cleveland way too much credit. But yeah. I've seen that like floated a number of places where like people are saying, well, maybe LeBron, maybe LeBron won in the end here. I don't, I don't know if I would go that far, but I do think this changes the way we think about that deal and maybe like the future in in Boston, which for the last nine months has looked like unequivocally bright. If you had to, if you had to bet on the future of any team in the league, you would bet on Boston. And now it's like a little bit shakier, right? Well, I would say for the short term, LeBron definitely won. I mean, if you're just taking both Isaiah Thomas and Kyrie Irving out of the Eastern Conference, you know, if if that's yeah. the net result, and you're filling in LeBron with scraps. He that just you know widens his gap over everybody else in terms of what he's able to do. You throw on top the Gordon Hayward injury, and you know that was not predictable by Cleveland either or by Boston either. So you know clearly LeBron's in a better position uh, at this point relative to the rest of the East than we thought he was going to be at the start of the season, or even when they made that trade. You know, even in a best case scenario where Isaiah comes back and plays great, like Boston not having Kyrie is a bigger impact. You know that that weakens significantly. Uh, you know, the team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals uh, last year. Now, uh, you know, in terms of what does this mean for Boston's future, I think one of the brilliant moves by Kyrie in terms of all the rebranding around the wackiness, you know, the the, the flat earth stuff and all that, <laughs> yeah. is it got all of his critics, guys like us, to focus on that aspect of his personality rather than the fact that he's been injury prone or, you know, regularly injured with serious issues his whole career, dating back to Duke and in Cleveland as well. You know, this is a guy who's played 75 games once. Uh, you know, he's missing basically, you know, 20-plus games regularly. He was obviously injured during the finals one year. Uh, you know, yep. almost missed half a season. I mean, that was the major knock on Kyrie before all the coffee shop stuff came along, right? And, of course, he also helped rewrite his reputation by hitting one of the greatest shots at NBA history in the finals sure. to, help, to help seal that title. But... Uh, you know, in the back of all of the trade analysis that we were making last summer, we did mention that, you know, we said, look, if, if he gets hurt, there's a possibility that that would happen. It's not like you're getting this pristine player. Yes, he's in his prime years and he's got a very bright future, but he's had injury issues uh, that, you know, could easily recur. And they did here. And I think going forward, it would be naive to expect that he's just going to be fine for the next five years. When you've had this many uh, different issues along the way, uh, the likelihood that they continue or that something else pops up uh, is greater than if you were, you know, just never having those kind of issues in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real issue for sure. And to me, I think it's a bummer because I even as I think of like the Wizards Celtics rivalry, which I think is probably more of a rivalry to Wizards fans than it is to Celtics fans. But like it would be a lot more fun to watch John Wall going against Kyrie Irving. And I think having him in Boston makes the whole conference more exciting, which is sort of what you were talking about earlier. And, uh, and you know... Well, yeah, not only not... that, but Andrew, don't you want LeBron versus Kyrie Eastern Conference Finals? I mean, take the Wizards side out of it. Like, wasn't yeah. that the matchup people wanted to see? Like, you know, yeah, just like KD well, and Russ. And we missed KD and Russ last year. It just didn't happen in the postseason because, you know, Russ was deciding to play with 47% usage. But... Like, you know, that's, you know, those kinds of storylines, like if you're going to have the conference designations, if you're not going to do the one to 16 thing, the best argument for the current format is like, well, you set up these natural rivalries. We get to see Boston versus Cleveland again. And if Kyrie decides to you know force his way out of Cleveland, we get to see the big showdown in the playoffs. 
And now we don't get that. And that, yeah. to me, is a huge bummer. And it de- definitely undercuts a lot of the momentum the NBA probably was hoping to have going into the playoffs. Yeah, and we, we've like gone back and forth in terms of Kyrie's value, but there's no debate that when he's on, he's one of the like six or seven most entertaining players in the league. And seeing him in the playoffs the past few years has been awesome. Um, and so hopefully he gets back healthy. It is a real issue, though, and you're right. Like The one, the one season of, of clean health that he had was, was that... Uh, like the last two years in Cleveland, he was mostly healthy. But beyond that, he's he's had issues every single year. And like I was worried about the knee all along. And we've mentioned it on the podcast. And I didn't really expect that he was ever going to come back this season. So it's it's kind of caught me off guard where like all these people are now freaked out about the, the Kyrie knee issue and, and mourning the end of the Celtics season. Like I thought when he shut it down a couple of weeks ago, it, it was pretty clear to me that he wasn't coming back. And I think that's smart on Boston's part, because look, this is a dude who like, you have to not only think about the long, the long view in terms of what he's worth to the franchise uh, and, and like the ability to contend next year, but also like, they have to do right by Kyrie here because he's going to be a free agent in 18 months. And so they, they need to like work on his timetable and, and make sure that he's comfortable with everything. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, and I know Boston fans are going to say, oh, you know, don't be a jerk. Like their season was over when Hayward went down, you know, and I, I yeah. stuck by that. In terms of their ability to truly contend for a title, the disappointment here is the entertainment value of seeing Kyrie versus the Cavs in the playoffs, not you know, Boston's real legitimate ability to come out of the Eastern Conference, right? That's why we were mocking the whole, the finals run through Boston, you know, storyline, <laughs> because the short-term implications here, I think of Kyrie plague or not plague, it's much more, uh, you know, feelings-oriented. It's much more kind of visceral, right? It's not, you know, this is, he's going to come through, get us, you know, get a finals MVP, lead Boston all the way. I mean, I, I don't think that was really ever, uh, you know, a scenario that was going to happen. So, uh, you know, I see that. I think that's why a lot of people are are looking longer term because when you look at this core, you've got Hayward coming back off of a major injury, and, and you don't know if he's going to be at 100% next season. You know, we've seen guys need to work back into it a little bit after such a big injury and, and such a long absence. You've got yeah. Kyrie battling the knee issues, and you've got Horford who. Uh, is playing great basketball by, uh, right now, but the clock is ticking on him a little bit in terms of how long is he going to maintain a superstar level impact. Uh, again, I'm not saying that's going to fall off a cliff next season, uh, but that is an issue. So uh, I think if if you're Boston, look, there's many worse situations to be in given how much young talent they've assembled and how well they've they've grown some of those guys up. Uh, but I think, you know, Kyrie is the linchpin to all of it. Like he's the guy who is going to be your main person for the next era. And if you can't count on him, that brings the ceiling down considerably. Yeah. And they're still in really good shape. The foundation isn't quite as rock solid as it might've seemed six months ago. Um, but, but let me tell you something, Ben, the finals run through Boston next June. Okay. So don't worry about that. They, the Boston has great weather in June. Um, uh, is there a is there a neighborhood in Philadelphia called Boston, or what are you talking <laughs> oh, about? Oh, here we go, Captain Process. I love how you've turned on the Sixers the last couple months. Um, I don't know. Let's move on. Get well soon, coffee shop. We all we all miss you. Um, but until then, uh, let's talk about some of the other pre playoff storylines. Okay, so 
Sam says, I just finished watching the Wolves-Nuggets game, and I feel like this is a prime example of why Wiggins cops so much shit from you guys. Apologies to Elizabeth. Uh, thank you, I'm Sam, not for apologizing. Keep yeah, it clean. Thank, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Uh, I'm not even a Wolves fan, he says, and he pissed me off. He didn't get to the line once in the second half. He took no shots in the fourth quarter, even with Towns fouling out. He was absolutely invisible. Taj Gibson had to take over. And that's not even mentioning that Wiggins didn't box out Jokic on the last play to stop the game-sealing tip-in. So it's a good jumping-off point. What did you see from Minnesota and Denver in that nightcap game last night? I mean, Denver really, really wanted that game. So I guess my first takeaway was like, congrats to how much heart they played with. You know, that's a team that's been pretty pretty soft at various points throughout the season. And if they miss the playoffs, they will spend the entire summer, you know, assuming that they're, you know, diligent competitors, they'll spend the entire summer ruining some of the just absolutely atrocious losses like the Memphis loss and some of the other ones they've had along the way. So the flip side of that though, I would say that like, They've had four, four or five bad losses in the last like six weeks that have made me do a double take and 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 think that like they're just about to quit on the season and uh, and they haven't quit so they at least get credit for that which I think is what you're talking about. Yeah, I was saying so the yeah that would be their silver lining is like well like at least we gutted out some really tough wins down the stretch you know and does that make you feel better if you miss the playoffs probably not but at least it's something that you can kind of build on and. You know, you don't feel horrible horrible about yourself the whole summer. Um, I think from Minnesota's standpoint, uh, they, and I don't know if this applies specifically to Wiggins or not, but in general, that team looks like gassed, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. emotionally gassed. And we knew that was going to happen because of how many minutes they played the whole way. And then, you know, Butler was carrying a huge load both ways. And you take a guy like that off, everyone else's life gets so much worse, you know, uh, just because of his sheer ability to just do stuff constantly, always be in the mix, create points for himself and others, and, you know, create stops for himself and others. Um, You know, Towns was very, very frustrated at the end of the game after fouling out. I think you could see some of the, uh, you know, the fatigue and the emotion come through him uh, in that sequence. You know, he gets called for the foul on Jamal Murray and kind of loses his mind a little bit. Whereas Wiggins, I think it just gets expressed differently. You know, I think he just kind of is a shrinking violet sometimes and uh, a lot more often than most people would hope for. And that's that's what we're seeing. So, uh, you know, he needed to do better. Their season's on the line. I think Minnesota maybe had a little bit of a false sense of security here recently in terms of, you know, just assuming that they were going to be in the playoffs. And now they're right back there on the bubble where it's it's pretty tight. Uh, It would be truly heartbreaking and Wiggins will catch so so much more criticism here over the next two weeks if they somehow wind up ninth yeah I mean I hope for their sake that they make it in in part because I I like Minnesota's roster Uh, it's uh, if Jimmy Butler's going to come back Minnesota is a is a much more entertaining addition to the playoffs than a team like Denver would be um and I think that's that, that's why I'm pulling for Minnesota, but it is it's hard to watch them down the stretch here because they are so clearly gassed, and even within games, like 
they look much better in the first and second quarter than they do in the fourth quarter. And then, and that's just a function of not having a bench. And so it's, I don't put it entirely on Tibbs's minutes management because he also has been kind of mediocre as a GM and they just don't have many viable options off the bench. So it's, it's like hurting them in two ways and it, and it's hard to watch without Jimmy Butler there to sort of like paper over all the deficiencies on that roster. Can I tell you a fun game to play with Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins? What? So Butler has these cryptic quotes, and a lot of times it's about effort and are you willing to win and all of that. If you just sort of replace his vague, uh, you know, his vague words like you or everybody with Andrew Wiggins, the quotes are so much more fun to read, right? I'll give you an example. <laughs> so I, I think everybody wants to win, but is Andrew Wiggins willing to do any and everything to make sure that we win these games? That's what I have to punch into Andrew Wiggins' head from now until the tip-off of the game, and probably a lot during the game, too. Or, for example, I just love to compete, but Andrew Wiggins has got to, ha, has got to understand what's at stake right now, how hard Andrew Wiggins has to play, especially right now. These are the games that Andrew Wiggins must have. You know Andrew what, Wiggins is supposed to look at every game that way, like I do, but now more than ever... Uh, we've got to have these wins because everyone's chasing us. Isn't that a more fun game to play? No, look, that's it. We, we're calling a ceasefire on Andrew Wiggins' shots on this podcast. For, ceasefire from us and hopefully a ceasefire from Jimmy Butler. It's gone too far. We've been talking about this for months, and I just I feel bad about about what we've said over the last couple months. It's it's time to move on, don't you think? Okay, no, no more group bullying, but hey... <laughs> The guy yeah, is we're on... basically cyberbullying or pod bullying or something. Well, I understand it, but look, the guy's about to get a max contract. This no, he is look, coming. And if he yeah. plays like he played against Denver during the playoffs, he's going to get it a lot more from everywhere, and uh, he's got to own up to it. I mean, number one pick, he demanded the max contract last summer. I don't think we need to treat him like a 14-year-old kid, Andrew. This guy's right. a grown man, you know? That's true. I would take... 150 million dollars in exchange for being cyberbullied. Um but <laughs> sounds like a fair trade. I'll cyberbully you for free. <laughs> Moving on. Lewis says, "Who has a higher career sh- shooting percentage, Russell Westbrook or Paul George?" The answer is Russell Westbrook, yet Russ gets labeled a gunner while Paul George does not. PG is just not a top 20 player in this league. He gets labeled as a guy who can lead an elite offense. But just look at the Pacers post-PG. Four extra wins, and the season isn't over. Would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. And Ben, Paul George was the star of your all-bullseye team uh, this week as we head into the playoffs. That was an article about players who are going to be under the spotlight in the playoffs. So talk to me about PG here. Well... Lewis is throwing a lot of stuff out there. Some that I agree with, some I want to push back with a little bit. Uh, okay. So first of all, Westbrook gets labeled a gunner because of the volume of his shots, not just because of his efficiency, right? Like Westbrook is shooting a lot, uh, compared, especially compared to Paul George. So I think we need to That's set that point. aside. Second, uh, I would still consider Paul George a top 20 player in this league because he is absolutely elite defensively on that, you know, you know, very, very short list of guys who can really lock down on the perimeter, defend multiple positions, and he's giving you good offense. 
Well, Lewis is absolutely yeah. right. His his offense, Paul George's offense, is overrated. It's not as efficient. There's we've said this for at least a year, dating back to last year's playoffs on the podcast. Like there's a lot of fat to trim out of his shot selection diet. He needs to get to the free throw line more. He needs to take less long twos. Uh, you know, all of those things are true, but that doesn't keep him from being a top twenty player. Yeah, I mean the issue with him has always been that like or at least the issue in Indiana was that he thought he was Kobe and you could tell that he grew up idolizing Kobe and he would take a lot of like contested fadeaway twos from like 21 feet and uh and sometimes he would hit him but there was just like the type of thing where a good coach would have coached that out of him and he didn't really have that in Indiana um and he's just not the guy who is going to be able to like put a team on his back and and win 50 games but uh, and so I guess if you're talking about value, it's, it's, we get into this territory a lot where like if he's the only guy, no, he's not top 20. But if he's the second or third guy, he's crazy valuable. Um, I think the issue in Oklahoma City, though, has been pretty interesting because like he's been so marginalized next to Russ that his offensive impact is beginning to wane. And uh, and I think he's been less effective on that end than than anyone would have expected coming into the year and even he was talking about how like his mechanics are off this this week and he just he hasn't shot the ball well in like two months so it's really hard to tell where this goes for the next month in OKC well I just think it's a super combustible combination in Oklahoma City right now because first of all they're basically 500 in close games games that go down to the wire that's really what you're going to be playing in the postseason right so they're not excellent in the clutch. When you look at Westbrook's shooting numbers and Carmelo Anthony's shooting numbers in the clutch this season, they're both terrible. I mean, really, really, really bad, right? And the crazy thing is, Paul George has really been demoted to their third option in the clutch. If you look at how many shots he's taken, you know, Victor Oladipo in Indiana has taken almost twice as many clutch attempts this season as Paul George has. Westbrook's taken basically three times as many clutch attempts this season as Paul George has. So he's become the third option, not the second option. And remember, this is why it's so compostable. Because Paul George went to the podium last year, you know, loose lips Paul, as I love to to call him, (laughs) and he was just blasting off after basically every single game, and his biggest gripe was after their game one loss to Cleveland when he basically demanded that he would have to take the last shot of that game because he's the star, right? Well, we know that's not how it's going to be in Oklahoma City. We know Westbrook is going to do most of the heavy lifting late in games, but if Paul George is an upcoming unrestricted free agent and his role in the playoffs in close games is to basically just stand and watch Westbrook, that does not fit with sort of the self-perception that he laid out last year when he was in Indiana. And yeah. so that forces a choice. He's either completely okay with letting Westbrook determine his fate here throughout the rest of his prime, or he decides there's another better option where he either can be the man or have a, a better teammate where he gets to uh, you know touch the ball more often and find that rhythm and find that groove uh, you know late in games. I don't think it's any coincidence that he's complaining about his mechanics or he's had this you know long slump after the the All Star break because he's used to one way of playing and he, that's that's not how he's getting to play in Oklahoma City and there's no way around it. It's not like Westbrook's going to evolve. You know that would be right. silly to think that and. Nobody knows that better than Billy Donovan, first of all, Uh, but also Westbrook's teammates. They're the ones who are going to realize even more than the outsiders who have been screaming about, you know, Westbrook's lack of evolution for years. They're the ones who are going to feel it on a daily basis. And I just think you have to watch the Thunder's 
late game play during the postseason because first of all you have no idea what's going to happen but second of all that is that could be a huge determining factor here for Paul George's interest in staying in Oklahoma City or finding a different uh, reality next year well I have two responses um, and a lot of good points there I, I agree with pretty much everything you said but first of all Thank you for the reminder about Loose Lips Paul at the podium and the missed game winners in that Cavs series because one of the funniest, it, like that was one of the funniest week-long stretches of the NBA in the last several years as Paul George was going up there <laughs> taking like 30 shots a game, missing game winners, and then that Gatorade commercial was running every commercial break with him hitting the game winner. And it was just... Brutal, really rough look for Loose Lips Paul. Um, and you talk about his self-perception, and I think that's one of the the issues. And it goes back to the Kobe thing. Like I think he sees himself in that Kobe, Kevin Durant category when he really, like the best version of him and his game is as a complimentary piece. And looking ahead of this summer, like I could absolutely see him going to LA and wanting to be the guy. And that makes sense. And he's, he's, would be fine in that role. But the best idea for him is something that I actually heard you propose on a different podcast. You were committing podcast adultery. You were on Real GM Radio with Danny LaRue. uh, And you said he should go to the Sixers and basically model the second half of his career after Andre Iguodala. And like, to me, that seems like a no-brainer. Like he, because not only can he be Iguodala on the defensive end, but he's Iguodala with like legit three-point range and could just be awesome for the next couple of years. Um, I also think like he could have, uh, you know, an important role there for them late in games too, right? Like yeah. there'd be situations where he would get to, you know, touch the ball a lot and you know maybe run some two-man game with Embiid or whatever. Like I think from a basketball standpoint. That's pretty clearly the best fit, and uh, but for years people were saying like you know Westbrook needs uh, to have you know a solid secondary piece, and Paul George would be better playing with a ball dominant guard so he can kind of pick his spot. So therefore, they're the perfect marriage. And I think what we've seen this season is that those thoughts uh, you know didn't really come to fruition. I don't think it's been that great of a marriage, and for him, I hope he's asking himself the right questions like after this these playoffs play out, but. I also think, you know, they're still talented enough where, you know, they may be able to gut out, you know, a first round series victory, you know, in a best case scenario. Well, and if and if and that happens, is... then maybe that allows them to talk themselves into it. So it's kind of a referendum both ways. You can just hear from the way I framed it earlier. I'm more on the skeptical side than the buying inside. Yeah. And we should also add that, like, seating is in flux in both conferences. Uh, the Cavs and the Sixers were recording this on a Friday afternoon. Cavs Sixers have a huge game Friday night to decide the third seed, basically. And then there is a chance that Oklahoma City can just outright miss the playoffs. I mean, they have to win in Houston, and then they have to win uh, against Miami to guarantee they're in. And if they lose both of those games, it gets a little dicier. So I like it's not entirely guaranteed that... Paul George is even going to have the chance to play in the playoffs, which is insane. But uh, it speaks well, to how shaky the marriage has been. 
I'll tell you this much, wherever he goes after the season, if they don't make the playoffs, if it's Cancun or Cabo, I think you and I should do a GoFundMe to, to erect a podium down there <laughs> so we can hear <laughs> his true thoughts. He can come right off the beach, you he know. Was and the and star get- of the first round last year. It was phenomenal. Uh, let me ask you, though, who else was on the All Bullseye team real quick? Well, we mentioned John Wall earlier, uh, and yes. I think he's on there to me because it doesn't even need to be that they upset somebody in the first round. You know, I don't think that's the standard for him. It's more about restoring a level of franchise identity, you know, feeling like the window isn't just completely gone, that he's not like the next Derrick Rose or the next Blake Griffin where uh, the injuries just added up at exactly the wrong time when it lined up to his new contract. And now you're just saddled with this thing that kind of cripples what you want to do. You know what it is with Wall? Honestly, he needs to be like... The Wizards have to play a stretch of basketball where it's clear that it all fits and that like the current version of the roster is coherent. And they haven't really had many stretches like that this year. And uh, they did for exactly like 14 minutes in the Cavs game on uh, Thursday night. But they're going to need to put together a little bit more of that with Wall in, in the lineup for Wizards fans to come away from this playoff run feeling comfortable with his place on the team and his and his contract, obviously. So, I, like, he's definitely on the all-bullseye team. Yeah, I think it's big for him, too, because he came in telling us he was the best two-way point guard of the season, and he's talked a lot of junk, like you mentioned, towards Cleveland and towards other places. And if he goes out... I, quick and he's really not able to make an impact and he's just passing the ball to the opposition like he did on that Seti Osmond play that I keep referencing yeah uh, I would worry what that would do to his mentality you know uh, it's really hard like if you don't feel like you can trust your body you can't get to the spots you used to be able to get to uh, and you know obviously but, he doesn't have that three-point range I would worry like how does he handle that adversity does well, he double also down worry, though how it how it affects my mentality right as a friend yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I, I I can say the right thing if you want me to say the right thing, but I, I'm I'm less worried about you and more worried about a former number one overall pick whose career seems like it's at a crossroads at this exact moment, right? Absolutely. I would yeah. I would much rather see him get back to that all star level because he's an incredibly exciting player. He's turned it on and had some great postseason performances. Uh, jumping up on the on the uh, scores table was a phenomenal moment of last year's playoffs. We can overlook the fact that they didn't actually win the series and, and lost to Kenny, Kelly Olynyk, but we want to see that wall back. And if not, it gets dark really quick. And we've seen these situations before. There's no good way out of it. You know, even if you're like the Bulls and you trade a Derrick Rose to New York and you try to turn things over to Jimmy Butler, that's very difficult. Like if Washington's future, you know, a year from now is okay, we're just going to try to ride with you know Bradley Beal and and Otto Porter. It doesn't work. That team doesn't have a very, very high ceiling. You need yeah. all three of those main max guys together. And I think, you know, one weak link out of that trio breaks the entire chain. Yeah, we'll see. I'm open to the possibility it can work out, but I'm also right. not super optimistic either. Um, who else do you have? Yeah, I was going to say, you sound like you had enough of the, <laughs> the Wizards <laughs> concern. It's sobering. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to one of our old favorites, uh, Kyle Lowry, though. Yeah, An definitely. interesting thing. I found when I was looking through, and I've done this all bullseye team for five years, you know, guys who are facing pressure in the postseason, I was shocked that I had never put Kyle Lowry on this list. Um, And one thing I found is basically if you hit 50 games uh, in the playoffs, like of your playoff career, 
your true shooting percentage as a star guard will be very, very close to your regular season true shooting percentage. So a guy like James Harden, it's a couple points lower in the playoffs. You know, that actually lines up with, you know, what you've said. You know, you always have concerns about him in the in the playoffs. But guys uh-huh. like Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, like it doesn't matter if you're super efficient or if you're a little bit less efficient. Uh, you know, if you're Curry or if you're Westbrook, usually once you've gotten your playoff reps, you're going to shoot about the same and perform similarly in the regular season compared to the playoffs. Yeah. Kyle Lowry is like the glaring exception to that. His true shooting percentage is down five points. It's down even more than for less experienced point guards like, say, you know, Wall uh, or Damian Lillard, who haven't, you know, quite yet been old enough to kind of build up, uh, you know, the huge reps. And Lowry's at this point, like if he's not in decline right now, like he's heading that way because of his age, right? So it's not like he's a young guy who just hasn't found his way yet. Like he's been there many times and it just hasn't worked out for him. And this year it's huge because Kyrie Irving's out. John Wall's coming back from injury. This is their best shot. And if he's not able to play at the level that we've seen, if he reverts to this like playoff Lowry player who just, you know, chucks and pounds shots, misses, gets frustrated, throws kind of temper tantrums, uh, that will sink Toronto. I think there's no way around it. I mean, we can talk all about DeMar DeRozan's emergence. We can talk all about this great bench. If your best player or, you know, a guy who was your best player as recently as last year doesn't play well, you're not going to take down LeBron James. The season's going to wind up being a disappointment. So I think everything around the Raptors kind of starts and ends with him. And he has not handled that pressure very well. He plays an emotional role with that team where like when he's hitting shots, there's more of a swagger. And I think him struggling in the playoffs like triggers anxiety for them where suddenly it all like the last three years of failures begin to come back and and Lowry wasn't totally healthy for some of those runs um but like yeah I think he's he's the guy to watch if you're wondering whether the Raptors are gonna like revert to form and I really hope he doesn't because I love Kyle Lowry I think like off the court he's he's one of the coolest current all-star level players we have and he's fun to watch and it's it's kind of like agonizing to watch him come up short every postseason not just losing but like not playing his game and like that I I hope we can like get a break from that this spring for sure and I think this is judgment year because he's played his fewest minutes per game He's yeah. enjoyed really, really good health. There's no excuses, right? Well, like he's that's, entering this postseason like, in a favorable swoon position. Is so concerning because they've they've like the last couple of weeks they have not looked like the same team, but they've also that team has been managing Demar and Lowry's minutes all year, and they sh- like they shouldn't be like coming up flat uh, this this late in the season. They like that's the whole reason they've been managing the the roster the way they have. Yeah, for sure. And I'll actually say this might surprise you. I'm not that worried. I know the pa- the panic is like on 11 right now in Toronto because they've been pretty up and down. I agree with uh, you. But, you know, usually the first couple, you know, first 15 games of a season like are more predictive than the last 15 games of a season just because, yeah. you know, motivations change down the stretch. So I think they're going to be able to turn it on. Their home court is excellent up there in that building. Uh, you know, come playoff time, you know, Jurassic Park and all of that. But, you know, at some point, it just is as simple as Kyle Lowry's got to make shots. Like, he can't be this version of himself where he's just not efficient. He can't get anything to go. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, the other guys, just real quickly on the All Bulls ITM, uh-huh. uh, you know, 
to me, Draymond. You know, he's a guy you've picked on previously, but the technical fouls, the outbursts to officials, and then, you know, his defensive numbers, like his defensive rating this season is the worst of his career. Um, their defense has been very good, but not like league leading. And yeah. when you don't have Steph, I think everything, you know, all the attention will be on KD to sort of pick up the scoring. And I think he's going to be able to do that just fine, basically against anyone. But Draymond needs to be the tone setter and he needs to control his temper. I mean, I don't think they're in a situation where if Draymond gets ejected from a playoff game in the first round, that's probably going to be a loss because you don't have Steph to sort of carry you through that. Um, And I think that's one reason why uh, people are going to be looking at Draymond, not only for can he flip the switch and kind of carry Golden State with him, but then also some of the nonsense he's been involved with this year with the officials and in past years with, you know, officials and uh, opposing players. Yeah, no, it'll be really interesting with him because I think he, like, I totally understand why people would say he can flip the switch and he's going to be great in the playoffs and we shouldn't worry too much about the Warriors. That makes sense and it's probably right. But there's just a, there's at, at least a possibility that he just isn't, isn't the same guy physically that he has been the last few years. And uh, so I'm not as worried as uh, I'm not as worried about like the technicals and the maturity side of things, but he like the defensive rating stuff is real and he just, he hasn't been the same guy. So he needs to, he's going to need to show up for the Warriors to like be able to, to hold down the fort without Steph. Yeah. And I, I would be worried about that, frankly, because you know, Steve Kerr's been saying all year long, like, you know, it's it's hard for these guys to get up. You know, we've been worried about, uh, you know, complacency and all of those things. And I think, you know, if you try to go flip the switch and it doesn't flip or you run into some adversity that you weren't expecting, you play a team that's that's hitting shots that you're not expecting or it's getting physical inside. I mean, we can't just assume Draymond's going to be able to keep keep himself together. I mean, he cost yeah. them a title by getting ejected for the tap to <laughs> LeBron James. Like that did happen. That's you know? true. I like, always downplay the maturity stuff, but it's true that there is like no greater sin, maybe in NBA history, as far as like maturity fuck ups than what Draymond Green did in the in the finals. Well, and I mean, and remember kicking Steven Adams, you know, know, all those different situations. Like those were issues during that series. If they had lost, like even put the finals one aside, if they had lost to the Thunder, what do you think people would have circled as being the big issues in that series? It would have been Draymond. Yeah. He had two two of the worst games of his entire career in that series against Oklahoma City Thunder. Even the game that he ended up not getting suspended for, he came back and was awful. Like he, he was just, he was in his own head. Um, but uh, all right, so last one on the bullseye list. Nurkic, uh, you know, Portland center. I just think this is less pressure about like, oh, are you a superstar or whatever. He's got the pressure because it's going to be his first real time in the playoffs because he was injured last year, didn't really get a play. There's pressure because it's a contract year and he obviously wants a big payday. But there's also this really interesting stylistic pressure for him where their defensive rating is basically among the league's best when he's on the court. Like he's uh-huh. a central cog to what they do defensively. But when you take him off their small ball lineups, if it's Zach Collins or whoever else it might be, just do not defend nearly as well. So they Portland wants to keep him on the court whenever possible. And if you look at their first round matchups, I mean, he, he might have to go up against, you know, real centers. Like if it's Carl Anthony Towns, Steven Adams, yeah. uh, you know, potentially, uh, you know, Anthony Davis. Uh, and that's, so, that's ideal for him. 
Well, I think he'd rather he'd rather bang with the big guys, right? Exactly. But there's also a scenario where he has to kind of do that, but then also chase around some unicorns, and that could be difficult. But then, assuming Portland survives that first round series, they're going right back into the idea of like he might have to go up against these small ball lineups, where now he's being pulled out into space, and he could be facing some of the same challenges a guy yeah. like Jonas Valanciunas has had in the past, where. You know, can you expect a seven footer to chase PJ Tucker into the corner and contest a three pointer? Or uh, can he keep up with Draymond and, and Kevin Durant if a Golden State goes really small, right? Like, that is a really, really tough matchup. That's where and Terry Earth- Stotts basically has to strap an oxygen tank to, to his back and just hope he could survive for like the, the 35 minutes he has to play in those games. For sure. Or he just has to pull him off the court. And then what we've seen from Nurkic in the past is like, if he's not playing in the fourth quarter, he's not shy about complaining about that, right? So it's a real test, I think, both mentally, matchup-wise, and then just the quality of competition at his position in the playoffs. And I think, you know, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are going to show up in the playoffs. Like those guys have have got enough reps where they're going to be just solid contributors. They're going to give you a lot. Uh, To get through a first-round series... Uh, or, you know, to really push somebody in the second round. I mean, Nurkic is going to have to play really, really well. And uh, I think he knows it. I think that team knows it. And I just think in terms of the interesting positional matchups that could result here uh, in the West, that's one I've really got circled. Yeah, I think that the stylistic element makes it fascinating. Um, and he's also in a contract year, and it's unclear what the market will be. So there are a lot of interesting threads there with Nurkic. The yeah, one guy when, I'm surprised oh, you left off is uh, is Harden, but well, maybe, so, maybe that's so obvious that like we could save that column for the conference finals. Yeah, with, with the all buzz, I call him. You know, I, I've done these for five years, so Harden was on there a few years ago. That's how long he's been struggling in the playoffs. <laughs> you know, he's he's already been under the microscope, and I try to stay away from like the ultra like A list stars. You know, obviously yeah. players like LeBron and Steph face more pressure than anybody else. Um, so you know, we'll see how it goes, but. There is still a lot to dig into in these playoffs, even though a lot of these players are injured, and it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, well, uh, I can't wait. I'm I'm really psyched, and this weekend is going to be interesting too. Let's see see how OKC holds up, um, and Sixers Cavs tonight. Uh, but next question: Speaking of the Sixers, Ryan says, "Hey guys, I've been listening to the pod for a few months now. I started listening because of rights to Ricky Sanchez, my former favorite NBA podcast, and now second favorite after Open Floor." Which, whoa, tough break for Spike and Alt Sixers. Uh, but thank you, Ryan. Welcome to Open Floor Globe. Uh, and he asks, could you guys rank the best players in the NBA that you would least like to have on your favorite team? For me, Russell Westbrook would be number one. He is one of the best players in the NBA, but I would hate to have him on my favorite team. Do you have any nominations, Ben? I mean, first of all, for Ryan, hopefully this wasn't just sort of like a, you know, a clever way to name check your your actual favorite podcast, sneaking <laughs> in the right to Ricky Sanchez name there. Subterfuge, but yeah. We got to have a APB to all the Open Floor Globe uh, emailers. Guys, don't answer your own questions when you send them in. I think Russell Westbrook's the clear number one for this answer. Uh, and the main reason why... Have you ever thought about how much rationalization it takes to kind of deal with everything that is Westbrook? You know, like 
on the court, like, okay, he takes, you know, five to seven bad shots per game, right? Yeah. Well, that's just Russ being Russ. You have to take the good with the bad. Well, do you? Like, do you have to take the good with the bad? <laughs> uh, you know, even stuff like off the court where, you know, he is it's, incredibly yeah. rude and obnoxious to reporters, right? But Russell Westbrook fans will explain that away and say, ha, 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 it's hilarious. Like, it's so funny. Look how mad he is. Look how Honestly, bad he's treating those fellow humans. The off-the-court like, stuff would be the hardest to defend. And, I like, what I would add to what you're saying is that the, the, the reason it gets really complicated is because Russ is also one of the like objectively coolest players of the last 20 years and like can just take over games and it's phenomenal. So he, like, I understand why people root for him. Um, but it would just be really hard to have a player who's so good that you can't not be like 150% invested and then have to sit there and hear everyone criticize him and know deep down that like, it's all spot on and completely fair. No, like you have to pick your side, right? Like there's no in between. And so that leads you to rationalizing and defending all sorts of behavior that's just not necessary. I mean, the people who cover the Thunder, right? Like think about how many hours they're pouring into covering that team, trying to bring like good information to the fans. Westbrook just treats them terribly, regularly, regularly, and his defenders... Oh, it's so funny. Ah, oh, ha, ha. You know, don't, who cares about the media? It's, <laughs> it's awful. terrible. I can't believe he gets away with that, man. Like, he, he makes guys wait, like, an hour and 15 minutes after the game. And as someone who, like, occasionally will, will cover games in locker rooms, like, it's really, really obnoxious to just have to stand there while one guy is holding up, like, 25 people who are sitting there waiting. But, you know, as you pointed out, like, he's just good enough to sort of you know, allow people to justify that and not turn on him, or at least, you know, like his, his own fan base. And he has had enough success where like everyone hasn't completely gone against him. It's, he's kind of like eating an ice cream cake for dinner every night, you know, like, (laughs) like you, you could do that. Like that's calories. Like it tastes good, but it's probably not the best thing for you. And, you know, at some point, other people in your life would be like, you know, maybe you should mix it a salad. Like maybe you should just kind of try to switch this up. But like it tastes good. It's sweet. It's 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 uh, better than, uh, you know, bland food. Well, like, yeah. yes, that's sort of West, Westbrook. Like he is a lot more entertaining than, you know, name your boring starting point guard here. He is going to give you 40 solid very uh, funny games. He's going to give you all the memes in the world that you could want and some really hilarious outfits, but there's a lot more to it than just that. Like, don't also, eat ice cream cake for dinner. To be clear, to to extend your analogy, which I'm not totally sure is the right analogy, but, like, if you did have to actually eat an ice cream cake for dinner, it would, it would begin to look, like, incredibly depressing after, like, <laughs> four days of doing it. Like, it would be super, super grim. And maybe that's how the Westbrook experience is for some people. Um, it it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. But I think I think Lowry's got to be in this conversation too, though, don't you? I mean, it would be really frustrating if you if you lost faith. Like you were talking about the emotional leader, or like if he doesn't play well, all those bad feelings from postseasons past come flooding back. Yeah, imagine being one of his teammates. Like this is the guy who's going to take us to the promised land, and then oh, one more time, fourth See, year in a row, Kyle you know doesn't what, show though? up. I think it's it's a little trickier though because Lowry and DeRozan like could be on this list but they're also so cool as as like franchise guys who 
do the right thing and uh like love the city and like rep the city like wherever possible uh i would be able to like to enjoy their games and and enjoy like how invested they are because they also like lowry has gotten better since he's been in toronto DeRozan gets better every year i appreciate that aspect of them and uh so i didn't put them on my on my roster although like your point is well taken yeah i mean if it happens again, though, how bad is that heartbreak going to be? Like, I've been thinking about this. Like, imagine if Toronto did lose in the first round. I'm not even sure I'd have the the heart to even, like, laugh about it. I'd feel terrible for all those people because yeah. they truly believe they're going all the way this year. Yeah, well, the good news is they're, it looks like they're going to be matched up with the Milwaukee Bucks, who somehow lost to the uh, Brooklyn Nets on Thursday night. So I wouldn't worry too much about Toronto losing in the in the first round. But maybe those are famous last words. I don't know. Yeah, uh, well, we'll see. Who else did you have on your list? Uh, so I I created a starting five of players who I, I would find just, like, unbearable. Um, Russ would be number one. Uh, and then my, my shooting guard is Dion Waiters because for all the lovable hijinks, which we can all enjoy from afar, watching him go 7 of 19 every night would just be like too much for me to handle especially now that he's making 7 for 19 don't you, don't you mean 5 for 19 yeah, maybe maybe that's being generous i don't know i love Dion waiters i'm glad he got paid i'm also happy that he's not on my team uh small forward is tobias harris because he is Whoa. just good enough to justify a lot of touches and and like a significant role in the offense but like at the same time, if you're running the offense through Tobias Harris for 30% of the game, like there's a ceiling on how good your team is going to be. And I just like, he's in that, that, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge territory where like, I respect how good you are, but rooting for your rooting for you on my favorite team would be like a huge bummer. Yeah, I think you're a little too low on Tobias Harris, but c- continue. You're on a good roll here. I, I want to hear the rest of this squad. Okay, so the, the power forward, uh, my power forward who also demands to be referred to as a point guard is Ben Simmons uh, because I Whoa. think... I, look, I'm sorry. This it, Rookie Ben Simmons would be really hard to have on my favorite team. Maybe he will build out his game... Basically, what I can't get past with him is the free throw shooting. Like, I can accept that he can't shoot, but I would be, I don't ever want to have like a franchise player who is capable of being hacked strategically and uh, like watching fourth quarters with Ben Simmons in charge would just be too much for me to handle. Um, And again, I respect him from afar. I just would not want to have him on my favorite team. And yeah, I, God for God forbid you win fifty games in your rookie year. <laughs> How right. horrible that would that you be? Look, what, we man? can get you, Andrew. We can get you a blindfold for Let's the Let's not get too carried away with the Sixers here. They're playing nothing but tanking teams down the stretch. I think that they are really good, and I hope that they beat the Cavs because I'd like to have a Wizards Sixers series happen in the playoffs. I, I want the Sixers in that three seed, but uh, I'm just saying, like I like. I like my squad, um, and I, I like my squad. So you tell me we, we, we can't get uh, excited about the Sixers when they win 12 straight, but when the Bulls won like seven straight, we had to do a whole episode about well, it. Well, we so not only that, if the Wizards ever put together two wins in a row, they'll be leading the podcast, but you can bet your ass. <laughs> um, but 
the uh, at the final spot, Nikola Jokic is wow is a guy who I understand why people love. I love watching him. It would be really hard to have him on my favorite team because he's he's another guy who's so talented that you can't help but get invested. But then he's frustrating for two reasons. One, because he'll go like two quarters without shooting. And, and you're like, wait a second, you, you can dominate this game. Why why, why aren't you trying? Why, why are you just like distributing? Why are you playing like, like 40-year-old Vlade? Um, and then the second reason, and the reason, the, the real reason, is because like he is so rough on defense that it would just be like heartbreaking to to have to live through that every game. And like I, I was thinking about it with the Nuggets win last night. Like if this all ultimately leads to a, a Nuggets Rocket series where Jokic is just like tortured by James Harden <laughs> and Chris Paul, like I don't know if I would be rooting for that if I were a Denver fan. Like I might prefer the ninth seed. Ever since I said Stubbs on ice skates, it's just ruined my ability to watch him play defense. Like, <laughs> it's really tough. <laughs> yeah. But look, I respect your ability to really cut hard against the grain here because both Sibbids and Jokic are finishing the season so strong. I love that you just went for it with both those guys. I think you have two pretty notable omissions from your team, though. Uh-huh. Um, Blake Griffin. Uh, I like Blake Griffin personally, uh, but I could see why, even contract aside, having a player like that uh, on your favorite team would get really frustrating because, you know, he, he saves his body quote unquote with the long twos. He's not the efficient shooter. He's kind of stuck in between, uh, you know, eras in terms of how he's playing offense. He's got the dazzling moment. So you have to give him the ball and turn everything over to him, but he hasn't really been quite good enough to produce, you know, a winning team or an elite offense in that role. Yeah. Defensively, he's not great. And then you have, a lot of the pouting and the weird personality stuff that he's hilarious off the court. He's one player off the court, but he's a different player on the court. And he just has not been able to kind of get over that. And I think it's, it's going to wind up holding him back basically the rest of the way. You know, I, I think he's probably in terms of his impact, he's already, you know, past his peak, uh, which, you know, you hate to say for a player that young, but it's true. Throw on top of everything I've said, the injury issues, uh, you know, that gets to be really tough. And so, you know, I, I really condolences to Piston fans. I mean, this is going to be a, a tough stretch here coming up for you guys the next couple of years. Totally. But the reason why I thought about Blake is, I swear, man, Montrez Harrell is more popular among Clippers fans this season than Blake was. Like, he gets louder cheers, more excitement, you know, the energy. And, like, that's a very clear stereotype type player. If it's Kenneth Fareed, he, I mean, in he's his career, really, really fun to watch. He does remind me of, like, year one and year two Kenneth Fareed. He's awesome. Yeah, and so, but that's that's a red flag, right? Like, if you have just the energy <laughs> power forward guy as your replacement, who the fans are all rallying around because he's sort of the opposite of what Blake Griffin had become, you know, after some of the injuries. Yeah, and, I, look, and the there stardom. was a lot of emotional baggage with that Clippers team after the after like four or five years of near misses. So I I don't blame Clippers fans for feeling exhausted and too exhausted to really enjoy Blake, but I don't pin it entirely on Blake either. I hear you. No, I, I'm a Blake defender too. I'm just saying this would, he's got a very compelling case for this team yeah, here yeah. Uh, in terms of all the factors. But I also think you might've gotten, as much as I like the Dion Waiters nomination, did you pick the wrong Heat player? Should it be Hassan Whiteside? Because oh man. <laughs> listening to a guy tell me about his NBA 2K rating or why he needs more touches late in games and, and watching how he plays and just knowing that if you send the ball in there, it's just never coming back out. 
Um, that would get so old so fast. All the goofy stuff on Snapchat, you know, leave that to DJ Khaled. Like, we don't need that. That's just too much, you know, too much to deal with as a teammate. Great call. I can't believe I I forgot Whiteside. I guess we're going to have to slide Jokic to the four to fit in Whiteside. I think Whiteside might be the captain of this team. It's him or us. They, they can duke it out. <laughs> oh, man. I will say this. The only other notes I had is that all time, Dwight Howard is the MVP of the best player I would hate to have on my favorite team because he was amazing at his peak, and yet even at his peak, he was, like, absolutely brutal. And then I did list, like, five players that I would love to have on my team and that would be amazing to root for. And number one is Giannis. Number two is Embiid. Number three is Damian Lillard. Number four is Gobert. And number five is uh, Kyrie Irving. Because I think I think Kyrie, watching him like take over games for eight to 12 minutes in like the third quarter would be amazing and uh he's just like he's just obnoxious enough to make the rest of the league hate him but he would be so fun to root for yeah i mean that was another moment you know moment of clarity within the two hours of drunken ramblings from kevin durant was like his you know passionate defense of Kyrie Irving's game and place in the nba and how he would take him on his you know personal like three-on-three team yeah uh that was really cool to hear that kind of mutual respect and just you know frankly fawning um, you know, I've never liked Kyrie Irving that much or as much as you're describing, but you know, he's you know worthy what, of that acclaim. Real hoopers recognize Kyrie. Okay. So me and me and Katie are on the same page. Um, but let's move on here because we're, we're, you've got a hard out, uh, three quick questions, follow-ups to our Kawhi discussion. Um, John says, your overreaction to Kawhi's situation and the suggestion that he's not even worth Boston's future Hall of Fame great Jason Tatum is another proof that you guys suffer from recency bias. Is Jason Tatum really that much better than Josh Jackson or John Collins? It's the sort of reaction grounded not in rational analytical thinking, but on pure emotion. Um, and then Levi says, it's insane to me that you guys would question if Kawhi deserves a Supermax. His trade value is whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then Eugene says, Age, Ainge not trading Gordon Hayward for Kawhi because that would be too heartless might be your worst take of the year. And Ben, I will just say this. I think that me, you and I might have been a little bit lower on Kawhi's trade value uh, than we should have been. But I think that the rest of like the internet is still higher on Kawhi's trade value than they should be because like with with the Tatum thing, for example, I think it's a it's a case of Boston not wanting to pay thirty million dollars to two separate wings with with Kawhi and Hayward there and and with with Ainge like look if people think that Ainge would trade Hayward for Kawhi. I hope it happens. I think that would be like a fascinating experiment in sports media to see whether like people allowed Ainge to do that. But like Hayward is really close with Brad Stevens and I think it would be like st- stunning if he if he actually made that move. But I mean, do you have any further thoughts on the Kawhi stuff? 
I mean, I don't understand the accusations of recency bias. It's not like Kawhi disappeared for one day and we freaked out about it, Andrew. This has been going on. It's April. <laughs> Kawhi's been in a weird place with his health since September. <laughs> this is no recency bias. Like yeah. this has been, we came into the season saying, oh, whoa, Kawhi's not going to play in the opening night. Well, let's give him a pass and see what happens. Then it was, oh, okay, maybe he's coming back. We don't know when. Then it was after the All-Star break. Then it was this. Now he's going to New York twice. Like, come on, guys. You can read red flags. Like, don't be, <laughs> don't put your head in the sand. Don't be ridiculous. We've tried like, to be is... really responsible about, like, tamping down Kawhi speculation for most of the season. But at some point, yeah. it's it's getting ridiculous. And, you know, no, we'll, I... we'll see what the Celtics do. I just, I can't imagine they'd want to pay $60 million to two wings who basically play the same position. Yeah, and put aside the Boston part. If it was all an overreaction and you're Kawhi's people and he's taking just a beating in the public for months, all you have to do is issue a press release, do a Players' Tribune article, put it together however you wanted to put it together to say Kawhi's not feeling right with his body. Don't worry. He loves the Spurs. He's coming back next year. Make it forceful so that people actually believe you and go forward. It's an absolute red flag. It's not an emotional overreaction. When Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, two lifelong NBA guys who have always played it by the book, are essentially calling you out in public. That's not an overreaction. Now, in terms of the Boston side, uh, I don't think that we're uh, being unfair in terms of what you're able to get for Kawhi Leonard because like, look how much uh, Cleveland got for Kyrie Irving, right? Kind of a similar situation. Long time, uh, you know, star level player, established, uh, you know, in a situation where you're going to have to pay him, you know, in the future, a lot of injury history, red flags in the past, but still, you know, very, very quality player. Like Cleveland did not clean up with that. And Kyrie had a lot of uh, leverage in that situation. uh, Kawhi, like I've said previously, has a lot of leverage in this situation, which is going to determine where they can trade him potentially, or it's going to require them to take back a smaller package. Look, for people who think they're going to get this, you know, gigantic haul for Kawhi Leonard, prove it. Let's see it. You know, I will I will be the first one to admit I was wrong. If they're coming home with like, you know, two A-list prospects and, a, you know, a lottery pick. Fantastic. But I just don't think it's going to play out that way because uh, Kawhi's got multiple things counting against him. You know, he doesn't have that personality to be a franchise guy. He clearly wants every dollar that he can get. And he has an extended, repeated injury history that is going to give everyone pause. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting because I could see the only version of this where I can see the Spurs getting fair value is if they like just stonewall people where they say, "Look, we're we're prepared to go into next year with Kawhi and and that's our plan unless you blow us away." But I don't think that if if you're San Antonio, given the way the last year has gone, if if you're not gonna head into next season with a commitment from him going into going into that season and and risking losing Kawhi for nothing is probably not the best way to play it uh so I don't know I don't know what they'll do but it is gonna it's definitely like it's already clear that's gonna be the most interesting story of the summer yeah and I take nothing back actually I don't don't think we should apologize or clarify we were fine yeah and also LeBron's free agency and Paul George's free agency is also going to be in the mix so um it's going to be a great summer it's going to be a great spring but before we before we go here two questions from the podium the first is from Aria who says I was listening to the Ringer NBA show a couple weeks ago and Chris Vernon mentioned that Christian from Christian and Scooby had come up to him at a Grizzlies game and said that he loved their podcast too what are you going to do about these divided Christian and Scooby loyalties 
And I will just say that I recently met Christian from Christian and Scooby, the famed NBA halftime act. And uh, I have no beef with him supporting multiple podcasts. We had a great talk about the Raptors. He's a Raptors fan. And, uh, and I actually got to see his act for the first time in person. And it was amazing. I've come away a Christian and Scooby evangelist. Uh, they are now my clear number one favorite uh, halftime act. Better than Red Panda. Fuck Red Panda. Whoa. Come on. <laughs> too far. To do too that. far. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Come on. Dial it back. We can edit okay, that everyone, out. he's sick. He's sick. Don't worry. Don't hold that, that last part against yeah, him. Yeah, that was the NyQuil. Look, the one thing about Christian is it's clear he has one lo- love in his life, true love. Um, that's Scooby. You know, their relationship is is very, very personal and very intimate. And I, I've seen that, you know, from the first time I saw them, his act. Yeah. The podcast, so the podcast bigamy part to me doesn't doesn't bother me. You know, go out and love as many podcasts as you want, <laughs> Christian, because we know we're all flings, Andrew. We're not going to replace Scooby in Christian's heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so that's where that's where I'm at with that one. But uh, I think our last question here from Kevin is one of the best we've had in a while. Okay. So Kevin says, my bu- my good buddy Dan and I took a short basketball vacation down to Cleveland this week. We are both huge basketball fans, and seeing LeBron do his thing in person was on both of our bucket lists. So we drove down for the game. However, our trip was as much a LeBron pilgrimage as it was an open floor one. We're both devoted fans of the podcast, as well as active recruiters, a task which takes on an added degree of difficulty here in Toronto, given the constant Canada slander and Ben's Skip Bayless-esque DeRosa takes. Seeing how hold open on, floor... Hold on, hold on, <laughs> How did DeRozan play against the Cavaliers? We want to do a fact check on that one? Well, oh, well, we'll leave it. We'll leave it. We'll leave it. Yeah, it was a rough night for Lowry as well, coming off the national title hangover. Um, but he said, Kevin continues and says, Seeing how Open Floor Inc. is sadly miss- missing merch options, we had to get creative and rep some custom Sharp and Golliver Raptors jerseys to the game. Unfortunately and shockingly, they were not met with any sort of name recognition at the game, but I'll just (laughs) I'll chalk that up to Cleveland fans clear lack of true basketball passion. And naturally, after slogging through an appropriately underwhelming Raptors showing, we headed over to Buffalo Wild Wings for some postgame apps. And the real cherry on top of the trip was and this is 100 percent true. As we were stopped at a light on our way out of Cleveland, I stared up. I started up the latest episode of the podcast, and lo and behold, across the street from us was a giant mattress firm store. Perfect oh bookend to, to the open floor adventure. That was an amazing email, and Kevin sent photos of his customized uh, Sharp and Golliver Raptors jerseys, which were amazing. I can't believe they're real, and uh, I'm honored. It was phenomenal. Made my week, Kevin and Dan. Thank you guys so much. Dan, I do want to point out, I, I sent uh, you know your Instagram handle around to a lot of people I care about because I was so excited, and apparently you have a picture of a penis on your uh, Instagram profile. You might... <laughs> You might want to clean that up before you do any further, uh, you know, viral uh, podcast promotion for us. But I think the reason no one came up to them at the game, Andrew, is because they thought that that Kevin and Dan were you and me wearing customized jerseys with our own <laughs> names on them, which would not really be that cool. 
but a few other things. They were in the fourth row. They had like amazing they seats did. and they were actually on the Raptors broadcast. I don't know if you saw the video clip of it. They looked very, very, very sad um, after that loss. And, you know, they got, you know, a real long pan of their heartbreak on the on the Raptors broadcast, which was very cool. So Kevin and Dan, I can't say I endorse everyone going out there to get custom jerseys with our names on them. And certainly, <laughs> you know, don't waste your money on a custom DeRozan jersey with my name on the back because that's a funny gag that you're going to be stuck with for the rest of your life. But I want to say a huge thank you. It, it, it really made my week, Andrew. You know what? Honestly, the way it, the way it played out for me is they put that on Instagram. Uh, like, I guess it was Tuesday night or Wednesday night. And you texted me photos like later that night. And I had already drank like half a bottle of cold medicine at that point. And so I got those text messages and thought I was like dreaming. And this was like a waking dream. And I wasn't sure whether it was real that there were Raptors jerseys with sharp. Is this a purple giraffe? Like what's happening here? I'm in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. I had to stare at the phone for like 30 seconds to make sure it was real, but it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, great tribute from Kevin. And, uh, and look, I, if, if this Raptors or I hope that this podcast has made it clear we're pulling for the Raptors. We want what? them to do well this spring. Uh, and uh, and with that, you know, I think we're, we'll come back next week. We got to talk awards and we got to talk playoffs, man. Yeah, you did that whole we thing because you got another mouse in your pocket. You love speaking <laughs> on my behalf. I never condone that. But Andrew, I'm really proud of you for for muscling through this podcast. You were great. Uh, you didn't give up. You didn't tap out like last night. So I, I was. I really appreciate that. But Andrew, everyone needs to go to Apple Podcasts. They need to search Open Floor. Two words. They need to scroll down on our page. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help spread the word. I mean, you don't have to go out there and buy a jersey like these guys did to spread the word about Open Floor, right? Just rate and review the podcast. We really appreciate it. All questions, comments, concerns, field trip diaries to Cleveland or wherever else you might be going, uh, send those to openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com. And Andrew, until next week, I'll talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.